Hi. Hi. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you. I can see you. Good. Firstly, thank you, Brain, uh, for accepting my invitation and accepting to be on my show. No problem. I do a show like this, too, so I'm happy to help. Wow. Thanks, man. Uh, so I thought you'd tell about you and the work that you are doing to my audience and also the work that you did to my audience. Right. Okay. So how do we want to start? So before that, can you please uh, introduce yourself to my audience? Sure. My name is Brian Prophet. I am a manager of the Community Insights team within the Open Source Program Office in Red Hat. Red Hat is a multinational company that, uh, software company that builds enterprise, enterprise grade uh, software uh, for around the Linux and open source ecosystem. So, and you're then, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so you're from? I am from, I well, I live in North Carolina in the United States. Um, I am from Indiana, um, and so this is my first time living away from there. Um, but uh, we moved here about two years ago, and it's been interesting to move in a pandemic. So. So. Can you tell more about the work that you are doing, your present work? Sure, of course. So what, what our team does in Red Hat is everything that Red Hat does is around open source software. And to do that, we work with um, hundreds of open source projects around the world um, that build software on a volunteer basis. Either they're all volunteers or they're people from other companies that work um, to build the same software together with other companies. Um, but it's very much an open source community kind of model. And then we take that software and then we will do some, a few things. We'll harden it. We'll put our brand on it and we'll get it. We'll get the software. So all the different projects will talk to each other um, within our uh, offering. And then we basically we don't really sell the software. We just basically give the software away, but then we provide support and training for the software. And that is predominantly how we make uh, our money. So what my team does, we're the people who help work with those upstream communities, um, wherever they are in the world. So my job involves a lot of travel um, because I sometimes have to meet people face to face, wherever they are. When I first came to, Red Hat, I was working with a team that was predominantly based in Israel. So I would go to Israel quite a bit. I've been to India, I've been to the Czech Republic, um, you know, um, China. So there've been a lot of different places that we've gone to meet with these communities, help them grow, help them stay healthy. And then what I do specifically is <clears throat> I'm working with a team that helps monitor those communities and make sure they're healthy. And we're doing that in a new and exciting way because in the past, what we used to do was kind of figure out how things were going based on our own experiences. 
So if I was a programmer, I would, you know, I would look at a community with a programmer's eyes and I would say, okay, their, their processes are working well or they're not working well. Maybe we should move to agile. Maybe we should get continuous integration. Or if I were coming, if I were, if I had a background in like marketing or writing, which is actually what my background is in, then I would look at it like, okay, how's their documentation? How is their website? How is their, um, how is their, you know, community events? How are they doing? And none of those are wrong, but if you have different experiences, it's hard to kind of see the whole picture. So what we're doing is we're working with data now and we will look at communities um, and their metrics analytically and figure out, okay, how healthy is this community with numbers? Um, and it's really exciting because when we can do that, we can very quickly find things that might be not working in a community that would have been missed. Um, before. Um, so we're very excited about this new development. We're kind of working on this software. We're partnering with people inside of Red Hat. We're starting to talk to other companies of, about doing this. This is all open source. So eventually anybody can use this tool. Anybody will be able to contribute to it and help make it better. So uh, you are into this work uh, since? Um, so I've been working at Red Hat for nine, almost nine years. I first came to Red Hat as a community manager, um, working with that, that, the overt community, which was mostly based in Israel that I mentioned before. Um, and then, um, let's see, I've worked with, a, we've launched, I helped launch a few other communities and, um, <clears throat> I did a lot of writing my previous job. Um, was actually a technology reporter. So I was a journalist for many years. I still consider myself to be a writer in some ways. Um, and so I would write a lot of things for Red Hat, Red Hat's blog, um, the community, um, get documentation done. And then, yeah, and then a couple of years ago, I became a manager and, and my team does that data analysis that I talked to you, talk to you about. And then also we do, um, we do, um, we build training materials because my team, there's about 25 of us. We're scattered all over the world, um, mo um, mostly in Europe, North America, but we do have some people in Japan and Singapore. So we're all over and we're not a very big team. Um, we were actually remote before the pandemic. Um, so being remote is not new to us at all. Um, but we're a small team in a large company that's growing very quickly. So we are we are building a lot of materials now um, where people can look and see what we're doing because we don't have the people to train everybody individually. Um, or even in classes. So now what we're doing is we're building a lot of materials. And I can share those links with you if you want to share them with your audience too, because some of it is public um, and free. You can use it. You can 
you know, use it however you want. It's Creative Commons, so you can take it and use it for your own organization. You just, you know, change the words and you're all set. Because we, for Red Hat um, in general, getting everybody to use open source software and participate in open source software is a very real mission for us. Um, because the more people that participate, the better it all gets. So uh, recent experience of yours uh, in Red Hat? Recent experience of Red Hat. Well, right now what I'm doing, I <laughs> right now what I'm doing is I'm talking to a lot of different customers and partners because the new thing that we're seeing in the last two years, I think, is there are a lot of other companies um, that you would not expect to be interested in open source who are very interested in open source. And so now, you know, um, now they're coming to us and they're saying, look, you've obviously made this work. Um, you're very successful. I mean, IBM bought you. So that's a good sign of success. How do you do it? And then basically we tell them because, you know, that's part of our job. Um, and so a lot of my conversations now are how do we how do we explain this to other companies? And that's what I do. I've met with like two or three this week. Um, and then um, a colleague of, I, of mine is, and I are working this. She has this idea about how we can build a whole new kind of curriculum with games and um, giveaways and, and more classes. Um, and so now we're working on this whole new thing where we can train people inside of Red Hat and then maybe eventually outside of Red Hat, you know, depending on how it goes, on how open source works. Because when I started at the company <coughs> nine years ago, excuse me, um, you know, we had, I think we were just under 10,000 people. Um, no, that's not true. I'm sorry. It was about 6,000 people. And then that was nine years ago. And now we're at like 20,000 people. Um, so we're growing very quickly. And it just keeps going and going and going. And even though Red Hat is a big open source company, you bring in all these new people, they may not all understand open source the exact same way. So it's my team's job to help educate them and, and, and make sure they know about open source and maybe even do open source. You don't have to be a developer to work on an open source project. You can be a writer, you can be an artist, um, you can be a speaker. Um, there are lots of different things you can do to be a part of open source. And that's the message that we're trying to send to everybody. So I'm really excited about this new project that my colleague has started and I'm happy to be helping her with that um, because it's gonna be, it's gonna be amazing because we are, we're gonna, we're thinking about building a game so you can kind of see how open source works. Um, it'll be like one of those old, you're probably too young, I don't know. It's one of those old um, um, online text only games where you, you enter a room and you, you know, you're in a room, it's dark, you know, what do you do? And then you just type, you know, go north uh, or pick up torch or something like that. 
Um, and, and so it'll be an old style game like that. But we found that that's actually a good way of teaching people um, how, how things work. Um, because you're telling a story and it helps keep that in your, in your mind. So, uh, how, who, uh, to whom uh, there's an open source tool will be useful, particularly? I mean, everybody. <laughs> so, I mean, so, so when open source started in the 90s, it was very much regarded with a lot of skepticism because people didn't really want to they didn't understand how something could be free and be good and be safe. Um, because, you know, if you look at something and you say, oh, okay, I've got this, this software costs, you know, $50 and then this software is free. Well, how good can the free software be? You know, because somebody just did it like a hobby. People didn't understand. But what was really going on is you had many people working on the software at the same time. And, you know, even today, one of the most common open source software uh, platforms that you will see is um, called the Apache web server. And the Apache web server is used, I think, I don't know what the exact number is right now. I think it's like 80 or 90% of internet web services or sites rather or use Apache because it's free and very good and it's easy to set up and off you go. Um, you know, if you have an Android phone, you know, that's open source software. In, um, you know, older open source software. It's not open source now, but some of its early beginnings were open source software. So people, the average consumer runs into this every single day and they don't even know it. Um, and so it's really exciting because, because it's free, because it can be um, modified at will by skilled developers and other contributors, and because it can be scaled so you can run like um, you can run some of this software on the largest supercomputers in the world. In fact, it does. Or you can run it on a tiny little sensor in a in a greenhouse that's picking up temperature and humidity, um, and and sending it those signals back to another computer. Um, and you're measuring the 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 environment of a greenhouse with hundreds or thousands of these sensors. Um, that's what's exciting about it because you can make it really big or really small and <clears throat> it's almost the same software. Um, and so that's really exciting. And, and, and the ability for anybody to get to use it and, 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 and change it, you know, there are so many different ways to learn how to do this. Um, and, and, you know, people, you, the, the, the communities that I've seen across the world, um, you know, in India and, and China and Brazil and, you know, all over Africa, 
you know, it, it's 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 amazing to watch people find this technology and learn to use it and learn to build it and come up with fantastic ideas. Um, it's really exciting. Um, you know, it's not just the, the, that it's free to use, it's also that it's free to build. And that's, I think, the biggest benefit. So about the training related thing, about the content, uh, technical content that uh, that can be used, uh, how, how it will be useful for people? Well, so there's a lot of different kind of training content because as I mentioned before, like, so Red Hat, <clears throat> excuse me, Red Hat and other companies, part of our, the way that we make money is we sell very, work well. And so um, there's so many websites. So you can go, if you have a problem with a piece of software, you can always find it with a search engine and go out and look and, and find the solution for your problem. And then there are so many classes. So like, for example, <clears throat> if you want to be a developer um, and you're interesting, interested in that, Python is one of the languages that a lot of people use. Um, it's very popular among the data science set. Um, so that's why I'm more aware of it now than ever. Um, and so, you know, there's so many different training courses online on how to learn Python that are free or very low cost, depending on where you are. And that's, it's great. And then you also can learn by doing as well, because if you start getting comfortable with what you're doing, you can participate in an open source project and say, hey, I have this change. And the way this works is every time you submit a change, somebody will review it and say, oh, okay, is this change good? Is it going to break something? Is it going to make things better? <clears throat> if it makes something better and it doesn't break anything, because that happens, we're human, everybody makes mistakes, um, you know, if it doesn't break anything and it makes things better, they'll take it. And then suddenly you've learned by doing. It's not just classroom homework and classroom assignments. You've actually started learning how to build software by actually building software. And there's really nothing more satisfying than that. So, so um, tell me you as a principal community architect, of Red Hat. Mm -hmm. Like what is a Red Hat, what does a community architect do? Okay, so a lot. Um, <clears throat> and pardon me, I'm working on a little cold, I'm sorry. Um, so what a community architect really does is they, they don't manage a community like they're in charge. They manage a community by taking care of it. So communities have different needs. They might need more servers or infrastructure. They might need more people. They might need more um, recognition. And, and so what a community architect does is basically make sure the community has everything that it needs to function um, well. A lot of times that means basically just staying out of the way and really not doing very much day-to-day -day activity. So you're not, again, you're not really running it. 
you're basically just standing off to the side and watching to see if anybody needs help. And, and, and usually, you know, everybody needs help with something, um, whether it's how do I get started? Um, where do I go to get this question answered to, you know, we want to have an event um, in a certain city at a certain day. How do we get that done? And so the community architect will do that um, because those are skills that not everybody in the community has. So, you know, that's really what the architect will, will do. We used to call them community managers, but it got it got a little confusing because people thought they were actually managers and that's not true. So we thought that community architect, <coughs> excuse me, was a better, uh, a better term. I got you. And uh, you as a senior uh, principal community architect, you worked uh, for one year, four months in this position. Um, I, I was, that was when I was working on overt when I first started. Um, so that job, I, I really love that job very much. Um, I, I miss the overt community quite a bit. Um, I still work with them. I get to work with them, um, a, a little bit, but there are other communities now that I work with as well. So I'm working with a lot of different ones instead of just one. And so when I was the community architect, you know, like I said earlier, my job involved a lot of travel. Um, I used to go to Israel all the time when I first started. In fact, because we all worked remote, um, you know, I worked at my home, which was then in Indiana. And, um, you know, my the only office that I ever saw at Red Hat was the one in Israel. So the joke was that was my home office um, because I, I think I went there like four times before um, I, I visited any other office at Red Hat. So, and that was great. And, and I would get to travel all over, the, all over Europe and talk about Overt because that was my job to tell people about the software that they could not only use and, and use in production if they wanted to um, and, and look at it. And if they really liked it, they could move to our commercial offering. Um, but not only learn how to use it, but also how to build on it. Um, and and, and kind of help create more, you know, better features for Overt. And that wasn't always easy because Overt is a very, very complex piece of software. Um, so it's not, it's not simple to learn how to uh, convert. The learning curve is very steep. Um, so, you know, the developers came up with a brilliant idea where they said, okay, well, if we can't let people, you know, you know, contribute directly to the code right away because it's so complicated. Um, they would they started building an API library where people could build APIs that would stick to Overt and do other functions on top of the of the software, and that was a good solution um, because open source software is great, but not all software is great for open source because some of it, as I said, is really, really complicated. And it takes time and training and experience to learn how to actually go in and, and change it. It's sort of like knowing how to fix, um, knowing how to fix like a lawnmower to cut your grass 
versus like knowing how to fix a Ferrari to drive very fast, you know? <laughs> so they both have engines, um, but that's it. Um, you know, you know, one's, one's really simple and one's really not. So um, it's kind of like that. Um, but yeah, so being a community architect was great. Um, an amazing experience because it really built on all the things that I learned when I was a journalist before that. Because when I was a journalist, all that I did was cover um, Linux and open source software. Um, and so I was talking to people at Red Hat and SUSE and Canonical and, and, and you know, all these other companies um, about how open source software worked and learned how it was being made. <clears throat> and eventually I came to a point where it was like, I would like to do that. I would like to help, you know? So that's what brought me to Red Hat. Uh, I can understand uh, uh, your job is more about uh, uh, understanding the mechanism of the software, understanding how it works, uh, understanding uh, uh, the connectivity between things and uh, a software. Also, I can see uh, you understand the business side of the uh, software, which means uh, you are into technology. Also, you understand the business side of the technology. Yeah, I think that's a big part of this job. And, and it usually surprises people when I tell them that I am not a developer. Um, I, you know, my technology background comes from system administration. You know, so I can, I can administer, you know, servers and things like that. Although it's been so long, I probably would do it very badly. Um, but that's, that's where my skill was in technology. I am not a developer, um, but that's part of the nice thing about open source is that you don't have to be, you know, somebody with a computer science degree um, to come in and work with open source. There are ways to contribute to open source without necessarily, you know, being strictly a programmer or a developer. Um, and that's part of the thing that I like about it the most. And yeah, so I do understand business because I've worked in a lot of different companies and I've seen how businesses work. Um, and so that's how I can help. There are people on my team who have, you know, they have technology degrees and they're developers and there are people who have, you know, journalism degrees. Um, and, you know, so, but they are still leading uh, parts of this team and they are making it really uh, thrive. And that's, again, that's the cool thing about open source. If you really look, you can probably find a way to be a part of it and not be a programmer. Um, <clears throat> in fact, one of the things that we do at Red Hat is that we, we try to avoid saying, um, oh, when you're an open source, you know, developers will contribute to code. Well, we don't like to say that. What we usually say is contributors can um, participate in the entire project because it's not just code, it's all the other things. You know, we need people to build websites. We need people to help run events. We need people to write blogs. Um, you know, we need people to translate blogs into other languages. 
and documentation. You know, there's so many different things that people can help us do. Um, and, and it just goes like that every day. Uh, as a manager, do you have uh, any particular project that you cannot forget uh, uh, in which uh, it was like very complicated? <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> so, so I think probably the most difficult project was we, we had a project at Red Hat a few years ago um, that was basically, it was a version of our, our platform software, Red Hat Enterprise Linux, that would manage containers very efficiently. And that was one of the rare cases where we had an idea to build something before we actually had an upstream community um, for it. And everything we do has to come from, you know, a, a volunteer community somewhere in the world. Um, and then we take that and, and change it however we need to. In this case, nobody was doing this. So we had to basically make the community at the same time we were making the commercial product. Um, and that was fun um, <laughs> because we, we had a very short time to do it. Um, and we had to do everything from the beginning. We had to build, we had to get a community together. We had to make everything from a mailing list to, cause we didn't have Slack back then. So everything from a mailing list to a website, to, you know, social media, Twitter accounts, um, and, 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 get everybody together to work on this project and get as many people from outside of Red Hat interested in it as we possibly could. So that was very challenging. It, it was a success. Um, it, the software itself was called Project Atomic. Um, Atomic is really not around anymore because what we ended up doing was we took another uh, software that we had called OpenShift um, and we basically ended up changing that to do the same thing that Project Atomic would do. Um, and that worked better. And now we have a better solution. Not everything in open source succeeds. Um, Project Atomic was great. It did, it did what it needed to do very well. But somebody came up with an idea that said, hey, this actually might work better. You know, so there's a... There's a YouTube video out there of our former CEO, Jim Whitehurst, and he was giving a TED talk. And it was the, the point of the talk was he went into a meeting um, and a, a junior developer in the meeting um, spoke up against the decision that they were making um, to you know, use a particular kind of software. Um, and and it startled him because he, you're not used to junior developers raising their hand and saying, no, I think this is not a great idea. Um, but the developer made some good points and they all said, well, okay, let's go back and think about this. And then they came back about a month later um, and they all, everybody that worked with the developer said, he was right, um, we're going to, act, we, we need to do what he said. Um, and I tell that story for two reasons. One, it shows you how people can 
um, change their minds about projects in open source. And, and it's, it's not as hard to do as like a normal software company who's invested millions and billions of dollars in software. They don't want to change. They're going to keep going the way they're going because they have to make it work. Um, with open source, you can say, oh, here's another idea. Let's see if we can try that. And if it works better for the customer and it's not painful for the customer, then it goes. So that's why I like to tell that story. The second reason I like to tell that story is because the software that they were, that the junior developer was talking about basically led to um, the acquisition of the company that made Overt, which is the project that I first worked on. So when I came to Red Hat, this was before I came to Red Hat. Um, and so it's sort of like the secret origin of how I came to Red Hat, because if they hadn't made that, that change, they wouldn't have hired me about six months later to come help them. So I was like, okay, that's a nice story. But anyway, so there you go. So uh, because of this uh, open source uh, software, you interact with uh, uh, different country people uh, to listen to their requirement and to understand what they want. So what do you learn from it? I think the most important thing that I learned is that it's, it's very clear, very quickly, that the way that I think is not the way every, anybody else thinks at all. And, 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 and that sounds obvious because I'm me, you're you, of course not. But, but it's, it's, it's even more than that. Like, I've learned so much about how different cultures approach social situations and also problems. Because the thing about software is you're trying to solve the same problem. So you think wrongly, but you think that the way you do it is the way that everybody does it. No, not at all. And, and, and there's no right way and there's no wrong way. It's just different. And that's the thing I learned very quickly um, when I started talking to people in other countries and other cultures because, you know, they don't, you know, they, they don't approach it the same way. And so, like, I've been to some countries where <clears throat> I've, I've had the pleasure of talking to students. Um, and if you talk to students in, like, Western institutions and universities, you know, you can say things like, okay, yeah, you just join the project and start contributing, and then people will, you'll get feedback and, you'll go like that. But I've been in other countries where I've said that and they're coming from a, a culture where, you know, academia and the business workplace are very hierarchical. And so the idea of doing something that somebody didn't tell you to do is very strange. Um, and And so we have to kind of, understand each other and say, well, but in open source, it's okay for you to do that. 
you can participate. You don't have to have permission. Um, and that's, that's, that's different. And I'm not saying their way is wrong. I'm not saying my way is right. I'm just saying it's different. And so those are things that I've learned very quickly. And, and getting, those, getting those differences out and talking about them openly is one of the best parts of my job because people can see how different people think and we both, everybody, everybody in the conversation wins at that point. So communication is uh, one of the important thing, uh, important part in your job. Uh, mm -hmm. Working for uh, Red Hat, what is, uh, what do you understand uh, about uh, connectivity between human and software? Oh, <laughs> well, Okay, first off, software. So software is awful. Um, <laughs> so, which is pretty much a really strange thing for me to say, um, because the thing about I, I love I love working on software. I love working with people who do it and everything like that. Um, and and it does make things easier. When when I was a younger man, like there was no way we would have this conversation right now without technology. You know, we would have to use a phone, it would cost money, it would never have happened. So things like this, just a simple conversation between me in the US and you in India is amazing to me. Um, so that's where software is good. Where software is not good, um, and, and, and we have to be very careful with this, is, you know, it does help humans. It does make things better for humans, but it isn't always the only solution. So when somebody says, oh, you know, this software is going to make, you know, humanity a better place. I'm usually not, I, I, I'm not very uh, much of a believer in that um, because software alone doesn't do it. The, the people working with the software the people who behind the software, they're what really matters. Um, and that's the thing I've learned with working with open source, that technology is not always going to be the answer to every problem. Um, it can help, it, it does, but I don't think that it, I don't think that it solves everything, you know. And, and we've got a long ways to go. We're working with things like artificial intelligence now and machine learning. <clears throat> this is some of the work that, that my team is doing. So we can predict how maybe communities will behave. Um, and that's new stuff. And we're excited about it. But I'm also not going to sit here and tell you that, you know, it's going to solve every community management problem or community architect problem, because you still need people to actually help do that. And, and make it work uh you said uh, traveling is uh, one of the important things uh, that you do uh, which is a uh, important part of your job so uh, you said uh, you see different culture people uh, the process so do they uh, do they do they interact or do they communicate in the same way with the software <coughs> um yeah for the most part um, 
so, you know, I, I meet regularly, you know, with people. So there's a conference there that we do uh, in Pune um, called DevConf IN. And we haven't done it for the last couple of years because of the pandemic, but hopefully it will start again. So, you know, I talk to people in India because I we help them um, we help them with that that conference because um, I help do social media and part of my job. So, you know, we help them with that conference and we help get it advertised. And and so, yeah, I can I can I talk to people in India all the time back and forth. And I do miss the travel, but it's good that I can talk to people anywhere in the country and in, in the company. Um, about things that need to get done. So I've, I, I have meetings with people in Australia all the time and China <clears throat> and India, as I mentioned. So yeah, um, I miss the travel because we have, again, we haven't really done it for the last couple of years. Um, but the ability to be able to talk and communicate um, with anybody almost at any time um, is, is really nice. I have a teammate who lives and works in Singapore. Um, I can only talk to him, you know, in the morning very briefly or, or late at night for me um, because that's the only time our, our schedules match. Um, but it's worth it because there's, you know, there are really smart people out there in the world and I have things to learn. So before eight years, uh, you worked as a adjacent instructor at the University of uh, Notre Dame uh, at, for eight years. So how was that experience? So when I worked at Notre Dame, I uh, that was something completely different than what I had ever done before. Basically, I was in the business school uh, at Notre Dame teaching um, teaching undergraduate students how to do spreadsheets and databases um, in their class. So if you, you know, if you do business of any kind, you need to know how spreadsheets work and how databases work. And, and, and you know, even if you, you, everybody uses spreadsheets in business, most everybody, um, not everybody will do a database kind of thing, um, but, you know, you still need to kind of know how it works. So if you're talking to somebody in IT, you understand, okay, what they're saying is actually real or maybe they're not, not telling the whole story. So yeah, that was really exciting. And I found out um, because my mother is a teacher and I found out, you know, that I love to teach. Um, that, that I love that job. I, I would probably still be doing that job except, well, we moved um, and I don't live in Indiana anymore. And then the other, even before that, I had to stop because I was traveling so much with Red Hat. Um, I couldn't leave my class as much as I you know, needed to. So I basically just had to stop teaching um, because I was traveling so much for Red Hat. Um, but I definitely miss it. Um, it, was, it was good. Um, I learned a lot more about how students and younger people approach business and how they approach the workplace. Um, 
And, and I definitely learned a lot more about spreadsheets because I knew quite a bit before, you know, I did it, but I learned a lot more. <laughs> so it was, it was good. And so now I'm always working on complex spreadsheets as part of my job here, um, you know, because of that experience. But I definitely miss the teaching part. That was something that I did for me. Um, and I really love doing it. Uh, what is that particular quality uh, in that 18, eight years uh, that is working, that you learned in that eight years that is working today for you in Red Hat? Listening. Um, I mean, I, I was doing that anyway because I, you know, I, I was a journalist before that. So listening is a big part of the job. But listening, listening to understand versus listening with um, gaining knowledge. And there's a, there's a really fine difference there because if I'm a reporter and I'm asking you questions, I'm trying to understand facts and I'm trying to understand the way something has happened. If I'm listening to a student, I, I'm trying to understand their problem, but sometimes I was listening to students about things that were outside of the class, you know, and they would have situations and, and difficulties and they felt like they could talk to me and that's fine. And so, you know, you, you have to listen, learn to listen to understand at that point. Um, because I think a big part of teaching is knowing what your students are really actually struggling with. You know, are they not doing their homework because they're lazy or are they not doing their homework because they're overworked and they've got too much to do and they, they're trying to manage expectations that maybe they should change? Um, if you listen, you might figure out what the actual problem is. So I think that was a big thing that I learned in that job. Great. And uh, before that, uh, you worked as a community marketing manager for one year, 2012 to 2013. Yeah, so that was a part of my career. So before that, I was working, um, I did at the same time, actually, that I was teaching at Notre Dame, I was working as a marketing manager at SUSE. SUSE is a competitor of Red Hat. I did that for a year. I was doing that part-time um, at the same time that I was doing journalism. And I was able to kind of keep them separate because I would just not, I was working on, that was the only time in my journalist career that I wasn't covering open source software. Um, so I was covering things that were away from open source software because I was doing part-time work for an open source company. Um, and so that's, I think, really um, where I learned how to be a good community manager. Um, and that helped. that definitely helped me when I came to Red Hat uh, a few years later. So I can see uh, you also worked as enterprise editor at uh, Red White, uh, Red Bright, Read Write uh, for one year, six months. So how that experience in Red Hat today is helping you? 
that experience was good because it ex it expanded my it, it expanded my knowledge base about technology in general because prior to that I as I said I've been only working on Linux and open source when I when I worked at Rewrite and at the same time I was working at at SUSE, um, I had to work on different stories um, and so I learned a lot more about artificial intelligence. I learned a lot more about Internet of Things. I learned a lot more about big data um, and how that worked. And all of those things now, um, because Linux open source wasn't getting very involved in those yet at that point, but they are now. So now I have all this knowledge <laughs> that I learned being a reporter, and now I can use it in my job here. Um, so that was nice. Um, and I loved that job. It was, it, I was still in Indiana. The office was in San Francisco. And so part of my job was to catch early news that would happen in Europe and Asia overnight. And since I was in the Eastern time zone in the US, I was three hours ahead of most of my colleagues um, in San Francisco. So my job as enterprise editor was to find stories that were happening in Europe, you know, early um, and get them written up. So there would be days when I would have one, maybe two, one time, like three major stories happen in Europe on the same day. And I had to write them all up. And then when my, when the rest of my staff or my team would, you know, wake up in San Francisco, they'd have all this stuff happening and then here, here, here are three stories for you. Um, and here we go. So that only happened once. <laughs> that was a really busy day. <laughs> so, yeah. Great. And uh, like you said, uh, you are also a, a writer, technology analyst at uh, Profit, Profit uh, Margins LLC for like you there for two years. Right. I, the work that I did at Profit Margins was basically so for a very long time until I went until I worked like in between like in between my jobs at um, in Indianapolis at Aimco. And then when I started working at um, the Linux Foundation, um, I was basically, I owned my own company and that was Profit Margins, um, which no longer exists, although I do have a coffee mug for it. I should have brought that out. Um, but the, so Profit Margins was basically how I lived for about like 10 years, I think, because that was the time when I was freelance journalism, journaling um, and writing, and I wasn't working for any one company. Um, I was working for Rebrite and IDG and um, Internet.com and Jupiter Media and all those com companies. I just worked as a freelancer. That was also when I was writing books. Um, I started writing books. Um, and I uh, about how to use Linux and open source software. Um, I've written 22 um, books in my career. Um, this is back in the day when the only way you could learn about software was buying a book about it. Um, that is not 
the case anymore. So writing books is not, um, writing books isn't, isn't as easy and it doesn't really make as much money as it used to. But in those days it did and it was enough to, you know, keep me and my family going for quite some time. I got you. So before that you worked as community manager, the Linux Foundation for one year, mm -hmm. seven months. Right, yeah, so Linux Foundation was where, that was where I made the jump from being just a journalist to being a community manager and working um, working within the Linux and open source community. That was, that was an amazing opportunity because that was the first time that I was actually doing something <clears throat> instead of just writing about it. Um, and it was a wonderful opportunity. Um, we, they had just acquired the Linux.com website and the domain. So that was when we relaunched Linux.com. Um, and, and I was, a, you know, I was happy to be a big part of that. Um, I, I, I was sad to have to leave the Linux Foundation. Um, that was during the 2008, you know, crash. Um, so at that time, they had to kind of let some people go. And then I went back to journalism for a while, and that's where I ended up at Rewrite and working for SUSE um, and, and doing freelance work. Um, but, you know, I, I love that experience, and I still know people at the Linux Foundation, and I, I love to see and talk to them. Um, and it was good, and it, it demonstrated to me that I could be a part of the open source community um, and not just write about it. So I really loved that job. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And I also, that's when I started really traveling and really liking it. Because when you're a journalist, you travel a little bit, but not very much because it's very expensive. Um, but with the Linux Foundation, you know, they were sort of helping pay my way. So it was like, oh, okay, now I'm going to all these great places. So it was nice. And uh, and you worked as a managing editor at uh, Jupiter Media. Yep. So that was um, that was when I started really getting into Linux and open source software um, as a, as a journalist because I had already been writing those books. Um, with profit margins in my own company, I was doing that. And yeah, I <clears throat> I met, that story is kind of funny. So I was at, I read the book and somebody wanted me to do a book signing at a Linux conference in New York City, um, which I thought was really weird because signing books for people that you've written is a very, is a very weird experience. Um, but when I was doing that, somebody came up to me and said, you know, you know, hey, would you like to come write for us and work on these websites? And this was back in 2000. And usually when somebody said, hey, write for my website, they wanted you to do it for free um, because very few people were actually paying money uh, to do that back in 2000. Um, and, I, and I said that to the, the person. Uh, I said, well, no, I, 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 I can't really write for free. I've got to make money and feed my family. So I don't have time to do that. 
And then they said, no, no, this would actually be a job. And, oh, okay. <laughs> so I did. Um, I, I started working for them in uh, early 2001 um, as a contractor. And then um, in December of 2001, um, they hired me as an employee um, at Jupiter Media. Um, and they and that used to be called internet.com um, before they changed their name. And I remember going because we I we had to fly to New York um, so I could sign the paperwork to start my new job. Um, and that was the the third the three month anniversary of 9/11. And we had used a long time ago. We used to live near New York City, uh, my wife and I, and. Um, it was really sad to see the city three months after 9-11, um, you know, so that's why I remember that date, um, because that's the date that I went and started that new job officially when I signed the papers. But yeah, it again, I love to write. I love writing as a thing. Um, I've been told I'm not terrible at writing, so that's good. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's something that I love to do and it helps me communicate. And um, I, trust me, I write much better than I speak. Um, you know, cause when you talk, it's all ums and ohs and uh and everything like that. But when I write, it's, you know, there's none of that. It's very, it's very clear, I hope. Uh, I can connect with you on this point because uh, I'm a techno uh, tech technical writer. I write in my mm -hmm. blogs and I'm writing since like four to five years. So with that experience only because of writing, I became very good in speaking. So I understood the meanings of the meanings of every word that I'm using. It actually helped in speaking more writing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It really helps. Um, it, it, it helps build your communication. Um, but for me, it's like, a, it's like a completely different part of my brain. Um, because when I speak, I'm, I'm speaking in short sentences. Um, and when I write, I write very long sentences and, and, and it's just totally different. But yeah, it does, it, one helps the other. It's really great. You worked as a configuration management and a quality control manager at uh, Enco. Wow, years. you're going way back now. These are back in the dark ages. Nobody's going to want to hear about this. Um, no. Um, yeah, so that was my first job in IT um, and working as a system administrator and a configuration manager. Uh, a big part of that job it used skills that I'd already had about like organizing and business skills and, and big, really that was just a lot of helping to manage, um, helping to manage the, the, how software was deployed across this company. It was a real estate company, um, but they had, you know, they had real estate holdings all over the United States and Canada. So, you know, they needed software deployed at regular intervals and, and to make that work. And it, it was it was interesting. It, I learned a lot in that job. And, you know, 
I the other half of that job was technical writing, which you just said you've done. So the technical writing part helped me learn how to write in a way to get across technical ideas. And that was what led me to work um, work at Macmillan um, and, and then, you know, start writing books for them, um, you know, before that, you know, so it was a lot of, um, <clears throat> there's a lot of building going on there and that part of my career. Like every new skill that I learned help lead me to another path. Because um, the thing that you may have noticed is people are listening to this, is that there was no path here. I started out as a newspaper journalist, and now I work for a software company. So, you know, it, it, it's very, it's very windy. Uh, but I think uh, all are interconnected. That you did. It is, but but there's no there's no direction. It just <laughs> went from place to place. But it is all connected. Yes. You worked as a development editor at uh, Macmillan Computer Publishing in 2009, mm -hmm. uh, 1994 to 1997, three years. Right. That's where I learned how to. Well, I learned a lot about book publishing there, and that's because Macmillan Publishing wrote, a, they were some of the early producers of some of the, the works that help people learn about new technologies. So Windows um, and, you know, Windows and, and, and Apple and, and Linux, you know, that's how I found out about Linux and where that, what that was and where that came from. And that's where I got the opportunity to write my first book. Um, even as I was working there, we were in a meeting and I was with a colleague of mine and we were talking, you, you talk about different books that are gonna come up and who, do, who can we find to write those books? And this one book we had trouble with um, trying to you know, find somebody to do it. And my colleague turned to me and she said, well, Brian and I can do it. And I was like, what? Um, <laughs> and, and they said, sure, you can do it. And we did. Um, and that's how I wrote my first uh, computer book um, with my friend. And that was a good experience. And then I went on and by myself wrote a, quite a few more. So yeah. Uh, you have licenses and certificates, uh, private pilot, uh, single engine land, federal uh, aviation administration. Yeah. So, yeah. So basically I can fly a plane. Um, I learned how to do that in, uh, 2000, 2001. Um, I, I still have my pilot's license. I don't fly as much anymore because it's, it's pretty expensive and I have, gotten to had I have had to get three daughters through college so I don't fly but actually I'm hoping um, my youngest daughter is graduating from college in about a year from now a year and a half and I'm hoping that I will be able to um, um, get back into the plane again and fly that is something I love to do a lot and it, 
it's part of well, and that's part of why I enjoy travel. I'm I'm pretty much the only person on the on the trip that loves a plane flight. Everybody else is miserable, and I'm like, I'm in a plane, yeah. So it's yeah. <laughs> and uh, at last, uh, what is as a as a as a person uh, who is working in Red Hat as a manager? Community uh, outreach and uh, senior product, uh, senior principal community architect and uh, principal community architect. So and uh, being uh, uh, doing the management thing in the Red Hat, uh, understanding the open source and uh, understanding uh, the requirements of the people. Uh, what do you say uh, about uh, my work? Have you seen any videos of mine on YouTube? Um, I have. I went and looked at some of those, and and I think, I think what you're doing is fantastic because, you know, we do a lot of the same things. It's it's about, it's about showing people different different ways of looking at the world and different people in the world. Um, so I love what you're doing. Um, I think, you know, talking to people about what they what they do and where they came from gives everybody else a way of like, you know, seeing how, how it works for different people. We all need to do that. Um, and it's really important. And, and I've said this a million times in this interview, but I'll say it again. The biggest part of open source is understanding the best way for people to work together. Um, and because there's no one right way to do it. You know, there's some guidelines to do it. You don't argue, you don't insult, you don't belittle people. But beyond that, everything else is like, you know, how do we make this work? Um, and and you should never assume that your way is the right way. And and so yeah, I I love this conversation um, just because, you know, I'm seeing the work that you're doing, and I'm. I'm impressed because this is the stuff that we need to have happen. We need to talk to ordinary people all over the world and figure out, you know, how they approach problems and how they solve things. Uh, I did masters in software engineering and I did bachelors in computer science and engineering. So mm -hmm. uh, talking with experts like you who are already in the industry who are working in top companies, software companies in the world, uh, how they made things possible, how they are solving problems and uh, understanding the user experiences and also understand the requirements of the clients and creating something that is useful for them and uh, which will satisfy their needs. So how these uh, collection of knowledge and collection of information is going to helpful for me if I work in IT in coming days? Well, I mean, so the obvious answer is, you know, doing this is going to help you find something that you are interested in and, and passionate in. And it may not be open source software, maybe something else what, that you've talked with uh, one of your other guests about. Um, but, but so that's the obvious answer that it should help you with that. But then the other thing is too, and this is what, <coughs> Oh, I'm very sorry. This is what I, I've been saying uh, a little bit during this interview is that it, you never stop learning, ever. 
Like, I'm, you know, I'm in my mid-50s. I, you know, it would be easy for me to say, I've seen enough. I've learned enough. I don't need to learn anything more. I I don't say that. Uh, I, I don't. I, I learn something new every day. And, and I also don't, like, I don't learn about, I don't learn from people who are older than me or who are more experienced than me. I learn from people who are younger than me all the time. I mean, we all have something to teach each other. So by you doing this, I think the benefit for you is the fact that you're, you know, if you're in a conversation with somebody and you're in your job and you say, you know, somebody says, oh, I don't know anything about open source, you can say, well, Okay, so I know a little bit because I talked to this guy over here. And, you know, you can start that conversation. And that opens doors for you. Um, you know, the, the one thing that I've taught my children over the years um, is don't close a door to an opportunity if you don't have to. I mean, sometimes you do. We can't do everything. But you don't have to necessarily close the door either. You can walk past the door you know, and go do something else. But leave the door open behind you because you never know when you might be able to go back and look inside and see if it's something that you might want to do. At last, uh, what do you say to my audience who is listening to our conversation from anywhere on this planet? Can you repeat that question? I'm sorry, I didn't hear it very well. I'm sorry. Uh, what do you say, uh, at last, uh, what do you say to the people, to my audience who are listening this conversation from anywhere on this planet? I would say that, so whatever part of technology you're interested in, um, or, or whatever kind of creativity you have, there are, there are communities and projects around the world in open source um, whether it's software or design or writing or any other kind of creative outlet that you might have, there are things out there. You just have to look and find them. And, and, and you may find a community of people who think and feel passionate about the same things that you do. And maybe they're right next door and maybe they're halfway across the world. Um, but I've seen this happen all the time. And I, and I hope that you all can find uh, a passion to share with somebody somewhere out there. Uh, can I put this video on my YouTube channel with your permission? Oh, absolutely. Can I also put this audio and video clip on my podcast, website, internet, social media, everywhere with your permission? Yes. Yeah, I'll, uh, do you want me to share any web links of yours with my audience? Um, yeah, um, I'll send them to you on Twitter. Um, I, I, I mentioned that website where we have the resources uh, to show people how to do open source. I will send you that link as soon as we're off. And yeah, that would be great. And people can use that. And just let me know when it goes up. And I'll throw some social media on it from my account and probably... I help, well, I help manage one of the Red Hat Twitter accounts, so I can uh, throw some uh, traffic your way from there. Sure, uh, Brian. Uh, 
can you can you also spell your uh, social media or uh, your web link the resource web link uh, to my audience can you spell it oh yeah i'm sorry so my social media uh, my personal one on twitter is the tech scribe so it's uh 